Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. Continue this morning in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're at the end of chapter, the second half of chapter 2. Um, before we hear from the Lord, let's ask His blessing upon the reading and preaching and hearing of that word. Let's pray once more. <clears throat> Lord God, our Father, we come again before you and we pray in faith and expectation. Let the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We confess, Father, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. So we ask, dear Lord, give us a great appetite for this, your word, that it may nourish our souls this morning in the ways of eternal life, all to your glory. It's through the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, <clears throat> starting at verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance of death to death. To the other, a fragrance of life from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, Peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So for the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it now. <clears throat> well, I wonder if you've ever lamented over the seeming weakness of the church. Or have you ever thought of your own faith and wondered, why am I so feeble and ineffective and broken and impure? Why is life so messy? Isn't God for us? What we see in our passage this morning, as we have since the beginning of 2 Corinthians, that Paul is attacked for his weakness and his lack of power and flash and talent in speaking. Remember, these false teachers denounced the Apostle Paul. They rejected his apostolic authority for those very reasons. And that his life, they said his life was full of too much suffering and weakness. And they rejected his gospel, and they attacked his character. Well, Paul here teaches in this passage about suffering and the power of the gospel. Suffering and the power of the gospel. In verses 12 to 17, he uses some bold and shocking metaphors to describe the role of weakness in his own ministry, and indeed in the Christian life. And we see that because the gospel is powerful, 
the gospel is powerful, that we can live in peace and joy, even in our weakness, even in our sorrows. So we read this morning, we read this morning uh, about the importance of the triumphant gospel ministry, as Paul describes as he works his way through his concern for the ministry, the character of the ministry, and then the conscience of the ministry. <clears throat> Paul here explains how the gospel of Jesus Christ continued to move throughout Asia, which is where uh, Tro Troas was, across from the Aegean Sea. Um, if you look at the last book in your Bible, the maps, uh, you'll be able to see uh, where this is. They're you know, uh, across that sea, the, 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 the great Aegean Sea. And though Corinth had many problems, Paul wanted to take full advantage of the opportunity that was open to him in Troas and Macedonia. And Paul refers, as we heard, to this as a door open for him to preach that powerful gospel, the gospel of power, the gospel of Christ. And it's here that Paul compares the gospel to a pleasant fragrance. It's here where he also speaks of unbelief as the stench of death. So first we see Paul's, he gives his concern for the ministry. His concern for the ministry. What's going on with him and why he's writing this letter. So again, verses 12 and 13, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. Right again, Troas is a port city in Northwest Asia Minor, which is today is modern-day Turkey. Troas was the jumping-off point, if you will, where ships crossed the Aegean, headed for Greece, and headed for Macedonia. In this trip by Paul, it happens after the event, that something that made him despair into life itself. And the timing is important to keep in mind here. He is aware that God had opened this door for the gospel. He's aware of these things, and the reason this is the reason why he writes another letter to the Corinthians to explain to them why he's not planning to come to him as he had intended. He intended to meet up with Titus in Troas, but Titus is not there. They didn't meet up. And so Paul says as a result, my spirit was not at rest. Literally it says, I did not have rest in my spirit when I did not find Titus my brother. Paul's worried about Titus. Chapter 7, uh, as we'll see as we move forward in 2 Corinthians, we see this great joy, this rejoicing uh, that he has when they're finally united in Macedonia. But Paul writes here of a door that was opened to him in the Lord. Right? A wide open opportunity to go and to preach Christ was open. So Paul got on a ship. They took him to Macedonia, a few hundred miles north of Corinth. We see Paul's chief end truly is to glorify God by preaching the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ to sinners for life. And his concern for the ministry of the gospel drives all that he does. Paul is a man consumed with love for the Christian church, with love for God's people. And later in this book, you'll recall, you'll remember, and we will see, uh, Paul, we read about his sufferings, right? All that he went through for the sake of the gospel ministry. All those things. And do you remember what that list ended with? What was the capstone of all these things that he catalogs one after another? Right? Remember, he was beaten, shipwrecked, attacked by wild beasts, and on and on. And do you remember how that list ends? 
He says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. A concern for the gospel, concern for Christ's church, concern for the ministry of the gospel. Above all else, the apostle is concerned that the churches are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is proof from Paul's journeys as we read about them in the books of Acts. If we follow the route of Paul and what he did and what he returned to do, right? he goes into all these places preaching the gospel. And the Spirit works mightily to give life and to bring many to life in Christ. Churches are planted. And you know, Paul later goes through the trouble to return to all these cities. Right? He goes and then he comes back and he returns to them. Why? Because he loves them. He's concerned for them. Concerned that they continue to be faithful as they, as they continue in obedience and following the Lord Jesus Christ. He's concerned for the ministry. And you know what else he does as we look at Paul's activities, his journeys? He makes sure that elders are appointed in every city to watch for and to care for the churches. And that's something of what we see here in 2 Corinthians. Right? Though a great door of opportunity for gospel preaching has opened, Paul is consumed with his care for the Corinthians. This, of course, leads us to the obvious question. Are we concerned for the ministry of the church? By and large, you know, a particular and large, are we concerned with the ministry of the church? Are we concerned with the preaching of the gospel in the world, the powerful gospel? Are we concerned for these things? Are we concerned and consumed with the love for Christ and one another as members together of his body? Do you, like Paul, love God's people to the point that you are troubled by your concern for them? Not fretting, not worried, not sinfully. Caring for them. You know, there's a bad and erroneous tradition in our culture that thinks very little of the church. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, among believers, I mean. Professed Christians. And it says that Christianity is just a matter of our own private devotions. right? Just me and my Bible. Just my own personal concern for my relationship with Jesus. And of course, those things are important. They are preeminently important. Private worship, pouring over the word, the word pouring over you, praying and pleading with the Lord, privately and always. But we shouldn't think little of the church. We shouldn't think little of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We should be of great concern for one another. We should be strongly concerned for our church family, because they're our church family. We notice when we look historically, all of the great and faithful ministers of the gospel, <clears throat> of gospel ministry have been consumed by this care for the church. It's of great importance to them. Right? And that's another distortion in our time, this idea that theology or theologians are, some, are, are, are merely heartless, cold intellectuals. Right? That is not the case when you look historically and even to our day. Those who pour themselves in to God's Word, right? Nothing can be further than the truth. Why is that? It's because the deeper we dig into God's Word, the more of an impact it has on us, and the more it softens and tenderizes our, our hard hearts in love and in living. That's the natural consequence of studying God's Word, the things of God, right? theology. Loving the, uh, the Lord, loving each other, loving our community. Prayerful in all things, seeking His heart, seeking His will. And these are the very things that we need to grow. We want to grow and impress into our lives the best we can. 
in our sanctification and his changing and growing us. And certainly, dear Christian, Jesus is deeply concerned for his church. He's deeply concerned for his people. He's so consumed with love for them that he died for them, that he rose again, that he ascended into glory and seated and reigns even now. And he promises his people not only peace, but power. Power. Power to forgive. Power to tell others of him. Powers to cease their hating one another. Power to love. Truly love. Isn't that awesome? Amazing. May indeed we work always to remember the wonder of his works and his love and his concern for his people. And may we live, brothers and sisters, lives from hearts that are fat with thanksgiving, from freedom and eternal glory with him forever. Let's concern something of the concern for the ministry that Paul gives us here. And then we see something of the character of the ministry, the character of the ministry. We see in verse 14, he says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, even Paul, even though he is full of weakness, and he's just told us earlier that he had been brought to the point of despairing into life itself, you see what he does here. He says his trip to Macedonia was a triumphal procession. Right? A triumphal procession. And this is significant for a number of reasons. Right? First of all, it's, this is a direct shot into the heart of the attack of the false apostles who said that Paul was weak and ineffective and ineloquent because none of that matters. Paul's weakness doesn't matter. The thing that mattered was the power of the gospel that Paul preached in Troas and Macedonia. The gospel and the attendant power that goes with it through the Holy Spirit. Right? And so you see, brothers and sisters, it's through the preaching of Christ crucified that the Holy Spirit demonstrates His power to unbelievers. And they are called, and they are given new life and have faith. And they may write before God, and they are set apart, freed from sin, and sanctified. They are grown in holiness. Paul trusts in God's sovereignty. And he knows that his Savior allowed him to be brought low, even despairing unto life. Why? So that Paul would be unable to do his work in his own strength. That he would rest fully on the strength of his master. And so even though the apostle was weak, Jesus opened this door to him for, for him to preach the gospel. And he led him to preach that gospel to new people in new places in such a way that Paul describes his mission trip as the triumphal procession of Christ, right? And though it's, yes, it's true, Paul is weak, but that weakness didn't stop the power of the gospel. That's the character of gospel preaching, right? Through the message of, the, of Christ crucified and risen, Christ triumphed over belief. And he still does today, brothers and sisters, does he not? He still does Today, he triumphs over unbelief every time a spiritually dead person is made alive. And a heart of stone is removed, and they're given a heart of flesh that beats for Jesus. That's triumph. And what did he do? The preaching of Christ brought about the saving knowledge of God. Right? The fragrance of him 
The fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere goes with the word that is preached, the gospel that is preached. Everywhere Paul went and preached the gospel, he says it's like a wonderful fragrance that spreads everywhere as a sign of that triumph of Jesus Christ. Again, notice the metaphor here. Pleasing fragrance is sweet aroma. The word means odor. It's something that stimulates the sense of smell. It's something that affects the mind as with, as with an odor. It's the word we find in various places in the New Testament, Ephesians 5.2. We see it in Philippians 4.18, which says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right, so think, think for a minute of that imagery. Think of the imagery. Think of the setting of the Roman Empire in the first century. We're far removed. Think, think of what that was. Think of how this imagery of the triumphal procession and the spreading of odors, the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. They would have known about it. They would have thought about the triumphal procession of the Roman emperor. Military victory parade of sorts. And that triumphal procession would be lined with flower petals. And they would burn sweet incense as the emperor would come through, the military victor would come through. And the imagery of the odor of the stench of death makes sense as well to them. All those who'd heard about these processions, and especially those who'd seen it themselves, right, following a military victory, they knew that following the triumphant emperor would, would come uh, with, who would come with him would be those who were defeated in battle. Right? They were the defeated captives, those men in chains under guard. Right? And so think of, think of the order, the organization. These people that were the captives, the defeated men in chains, they would be covered with dirt and blood and filth of battle and defeat. Reeking bodies. Right? And so you see the emperor goes with his people with a trail of fragrance and sweet aroma. And then the conquered captives would pass by. And they reeked. That world was not our world, right? They did not have the sanitation or the plumbing or deodorant or flushing toilets and all the wonderful things that we have in our day, praise God, that we do. But the first century was full of the sensory things, it was full of smells that would make us, frankly, sick today. But what a powerful and familiar image Paul for them that Paul gives them. Right? This fragrance, these contrasting fragrances of victory and defeat. And of course, there's an obvious connection as well as we look at this, a connection to the gospel in this fragrant imagery. Remember in the Old Testament, sacrifices made to God for the forgiveness of sins, or sacrifices offered to the Lord for thanksgiving and thanksgiving, for deliverance, for safety, for protection. And these are often, often spoken of in, sense, in terms of their aroma, which ascends up to the Lord, a pleasing to God. Right? We find this in a handful of places in Scripture. That's why we read our, uh, our Old Testament lesson, uh, Genesis 8, where Noah builds this altar to the Lord, and he takes some of the animals and offers a burnt offering on the altar, and he says, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Same thing, we, can be, we, we see something of this in Exodus 29, Leviticus 1, Numbers 15. And at first it sounds like what's going on here is that uh, 
the Lord Yahweh uh, just likes the smell of a barbecue, right? likes the smell of a cookout. But of course, that's not it. Right? It's, it's, it's not it. The imagery related to this pleasing aroma is about the pleasure, about God's pleasure with the nature of the sacrifice that's offered, and then he accepts it. Right? There's, so there's this cultural contextual connection, the connection to the, the redemptive history, the history of redemption of God's people, right? The sacrificial system was built, and God set up and reflected what? The heart and commitment and worship to God of the individual. That's what it was a picture of. And then notice also there's another connection. When Paul uses this metaphor, this metaphor in connection to the preaching of the gospel, he describes the spread of the gospel as a pleasing aroma to God. Right? If you notice that, it's, 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 this is what it is to God, first and foremost. And, and that's most important, correct? Because Jesus has offered, what, the final once and for all sacrifice for sin. And because of that, God is pleased when, this, when the gospel is preached. And it is to him a fragrant, pleasing aroma. And in that gospel, sinners hear of that one sacrifice, which turns aside God's wrath towards sinners, and which calls men and women to faith in Christ. Being the perfect sacrifice. And in light of the Old Testament background, Paul can speak like this. He can speak of the gospel as though it were a pleasing fragrance, just like those Old Testament sacrifices. Because that's what they were a picture of. That's what they were a pointer to. They were a type of the fulfillment of what Christ did in his work on the cross, of course. And then you also see it... Uh, this relates extension in the New Testament. We see it relates to us, right? To his people. As those united to Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, by faith, we see elsewhere in God's word. And you know the verse as well, right? Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire, then in verse 13, he says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Right? And so the offering of praise and worship. And then if we go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, this is all connected. This all culminates for his people. Right? This, what's being described here is whole-souled, full-life commitment to the Lord. Radical, you might say. Consumed, as we talked about Paul, with the glory of God. Consumed with our Savior. Jesus is not to be a casual other thing added on to all the other parts of my life. Right? That is not the believer's life. Jesus is everything. He's everything. And your life in Him, the Spirit working in you, enlivening you, mortifying your sin, this must affect the whole of your life. All of it. There are no untouched places in your life by the Gospel. And you know, brothers and sisters, the Gospel is everything because Jesus is everything. In our concern for the church and for our brothers and sisters and for our neighbors, 
It all starts with what? It starts out of a love for Jesus. Why do we love? Because he first loved us. If and until and before we've experienced the love of Christ for ourselves, we, have, we, don't, know, we don't know how to love. Right? It's a category that's odd to us and foreign to us and incomplete and unreal. And it bears asking and considering truly and honestly assessing your love for the Savior. Right? Does love for Christ affect and impact your life? All of it. Do you treasure him? Do you treasure the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he most precious to you? More precious than your sin? More precious than your guilt? More precious than your grudges? Is he most precious, your most precious treasure? He must be, dear Christian. Is he more lovely than your sin? Is he more attractive than your sin? Is your love and life and longing for him more than your longing for anything else in this world? More than lust, more than money, more than being right, more than judging and condemning others? And does the thought and contemplation of him fill your heart and fill your time? He must be your greatest treasure and your deepest longing, dear Christian. He must be. And if he is not, and that he is not, right? We are imperfect. We all fail at this. But if not, we must attend to prayer, to his word, and to sacraments, to feed us and strip away right, the vestiges of sin because the, the chains have been broken on our hearts. We must attend to these things in prayer. We must never be content thinking little of Jesus or infrequently of Jesus. He must be everything because he is everything. And when he is, and when he is, we can more and more be free, experience that freedom, the freedom from the lying bondage that we're good enough on our own. Because we're not. And the lying bondage that we're forever wretched and unworthy and unsavable. We're not. <laughs> he saved us. For we are his. And if we are his and he is ours, we have everything. Everything. There's nothing left for, left for us to do to be right with God. We're right with God. He did it all. And we can admit in that state, no, I'm not measuring up. I'm not perfect. But because I'm in Christ, he's perfect. He's done it all. What's left for me to do is what? To work out my salvation. Live my life in faith with fear and trembling. I'm free. And I'm also free from the crushing reality of just how short I fall for meeting God's standards. Because he met them for us. And he will truly give us joy upon joy, even in our sorrows and struggles. Colored by his mercy and beauty and grace, we can rejoice even in them. We must treasure him. We must treasure him, Christian. And as we do, the Spirit will grow you. Will grow you. He will grow you and strengthen you and enliven you to his loveliness and to his beauty. He will awaken you as he works through his word, through prayer, the means of grace. And I pray that you will pray and meditate upon these things. They are all important. They're glorious. They're comforting and assuring. 
Pray that they would be real to you and that you would worship and long for him in everything. and Seek his face and his will in all that you do. And I pray that these truths, dear Christian, will catapult your lives into sweet, fervent love for Christ, resulting in living for him in the work of the kingdom, in the roles that he has called you. Dear Christian, take this most precious treasure, Jesus. Take him back into your week and back into your world and show that world with your lives and with your lips that he is altogether glorious, and tender, and powerful, and that he will forgive all those that come to him in faith. Go live for Jesus, dear Christian. Amen indeed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you for the gospel, for giving us life through Christ. Lord, we pray that as your word goes out, that you would feed your people, that it would have its full effect here and around the world. We pray, dear Lord, give us, Father, a true sense of the victory that is ours in Christ. Help us, Lord, to see who we are, united to Christ, dead to sin once and for all. And Lord God, that we may we live in newness of life that you called us into and saved us to do. Help us, Father, to have hearts full of your love, caring for and loving one another. We pray work through us to bear testimony to the love you've shown to us in Christ. That we, to the out, so much so that we to the outside world would have a strong spiritual aroma of love and forgiveness and grace and hearts that care and live for you, all to your glory. Lord, we pray for all those who suffer in our midst this morning. We pray, Lord, encourage them, even through us. Work that encouragement. Lord, we thank you that we can do so, that we can be used such. Father, we pray, may you grant us as we endure. Grant us the comfort of your spirit and the peace that transcends all human understanding. Heavenly Father, we pray for the children of this church. We pray that you would bless them. That you would love the, uh, that, that they would love you with all of their hearts, and that as they struggle in this life, and as they suffer, and even as they sin and fail, that the gospel would become all the more and more real to them, and truly become good news indeed as they embrace it by faith time and time again. Bless our children, Lord. We pray for the parents here as well this morning, that they would love their children and rear them according to your word in the true and holy faith. Grandfather, husbands and wives, to love each other, the Christ-like love in sacrificial service to one another, dying to themselves in that service for your glory. Father, we pray even for all of us, married or single, young or old, help us to have swelled hearts full with your love, again, so caring and loving each other that the outside world would see and wonder and be captivated by your people's peculiarity. Father, use us in our lives to witness to your glory. We praise that you have fed us afresh this, this day as we have heard your word to us. May we see that this is our life and our sustenance, even in this time of sojourn away from our true home with you in glory, even in sorrow and difficulty and affliction. Father, we pray and we thank you. Strengthen us. Be with us, dear Lord. 
We bring all these things to you in the name of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.